This is Product by Design, a podcast by Prodigy, where we explore technology, artificial intelligence, user experience, product management, and the philosophy of building products and companies. Welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle, and this week we've got another awesome guest with us, Dan Lasavita. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Good to uh, be with you today. Yeah, uh, super excited to talk with you, Dan. Let me do a brief intro, and then you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Dan is the co-founder of Play, uh, which is transforming how teams create mobile products by empowering them to design, build, and experience their product in real time, all on the medium that they're designing for, which is their phone, which I'm excited to talk more about. Uh, But Dan is also an entrepreneur and servant leader who has built and grown and led successful teams and businesses for over 20 years. So Dan, again, it's it's awesome to have you on the show. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. And thank, thanks again. And thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, one of the four co-founders of Play. Uh, so founded Play uh, about four years ago, actually now, uh, with my co-founders, June, uh, Eric, and Michael. We've all been working together for about 16 years now, actually. Um, I've been saying 15 years, but I realize I've been saying that for the last few years. So you need to add years on top of that. Um, so yeah, like 16, 17 years now, we've been working together. Um, prior to starting Play, we were uh, building a design and technology agency called Firstborn, uh, along with a, a lot of other very talented uh, people. Uh, Firstborn was founded uh, in 1997, actually, by Michael. And then June and I uh, came on board in the early 2000s. Um, I started as a Flash developer, uh, not a very good one, um, as June will tell you, uh, and as some other people will tell you. But uh, I loved the, you know, I loved the the design and the um, the, the development side of product design. Um, and kind of as I started as I started as a Flash developer, became uh, a project manager and a producer, and then just had the opportunity to you know along with our our other teammates grow and build uh, Firstborn as a as an agency and a, as a great agency. I think doing some great work. Um, we were uh, we were acquired by Dentsu uh, about eleven years ago, um, and so uh, we were there for actually. Uh, June and myself there for eight years post acquisition uh, until we left uh, to to found play with Michael and Eric. So yeah, that's that's a bit a bit about me. I live in Connecticut right now. Um, spent the last fifteen years living in in New York City, but uh, moved to Connecticut a couple of years ago with my wife and our two our two boys. Still going to the city every week. We have an office there, so it's nice to get back into the city and and get with the rest of uh, at least our New York based team uh, on a weekly basis. Well, that is. It's a really, really interesting background, and I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but before we dive into it, you know, tell us a little bit more. What else do you like to do outside of the office? So, as I mentioned, I have two kids uh, with my wife, uh, two young boys, eight and ten. They keep us pretty busy. So, uh, you know, being you know, startup life, you're sort of you're always. You're working a lot, um, so the boundaries between life and work tend to get a little blurry, uh, which is okay. It's part of the uh, part part of the journey. But spend as much time, you know, with our with our kids as as, as possible. Uh, a, lot, a lot of sports right now, um, so that's that's fun. Um, yeah, exercise. Uh, when since I since I moved back, um, I love to cook uh, as well. 
um, pretty simple. My life is pretty simple these days, actually, which is by design uh, and, and something that I actually like. I think the, probably the biggest thing outside of work, hobby slash volunteer work. I'm a volunteer firefighter uh, for our town. Uh, something that I've kind of always wanted to do, but never thought I would be able to do. And when we moved back here a few years ago, um, our fire service is 100% volunteer. Uh, a lot of people don't realize they're unless they unless you live in a big city, your your fire service is probably also partially or fully volunteer. Um, and so I've been doing that for the last couple of years uh, when I can and when I have time. And uh, I, I love it. Uh, uses a very different part of my brain than... Um, but a lot of a lot of analogs to what we do actually in, in kind of building teams. And, uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my hobby slash, uh, extracurricular activity right now. That sounds exciting and, and really, really interesting. We may have to dive into that a little bit more as we, as we talk about, uh, teams and some of the other things, uh, that we'll discuss, but, you know, I'm excited to kind of dive into some of the things that, that you've brought up and that you've talked about. Uh, or touched on, especially, you know, your journey, you, you, you touched on it a little bit about, you know, as you, you know, built this, this agency, which eventually got acquired. And then uh, you went on to found the company that you're at right now play with a few of the other people that you've been working with. You know, I guess, what was that uh, transition like, uh, as you, you know, were looking at uh, founding a new company, you know, going out, really starting something again um you know what was kind of the the impetus for that and you know what ultimately kind of made you take that leap into uh you know starting something again yeah i think it was so definitely a transition going from so firstborn uh was an agency and agencies are service businesses right which is different than building a a software company um in in many ways so i think going from and i can talk about a few of the Maybe transitions from going from a you know a business where you know from day one I would say the business fundamentals like revenue and your cost basis and your profit margin are kind of important. Um, not to say that those things are not important now, but when you're building a venture backed business as we are, the earlier days uh, you're you know you're not focused on being profitable from day one. Um, I think profitability probably within the last 18 months is taking on a different uh, a different complexion for companies and I think that's a good thing for venture back companies it's a good thing bringing some of those you know business fundamentals back into the equation uh, is probably very important um, or I think is very important so those were wrapping my head around that early in the early days where you're just uh, I would sort of joke around with our, our early investors being like you know I'm used to Running a thirty million dollar P and L, we're doing you know thirty million dollars in revenue at Firstborn. To now, I'm just running an L. You know, like we're just paying people and like we're not making any money. There's a different mental shift that has to happen there uh, in the early days. Um, and so that that was one thing for me personally that was a little bit different. But really, the impetus was. I mean, ultimately, it was it, it, it was June in many ways. You know, June was the is like the visionary behind play. I mean, it was. His vision uh, around what does the future of design software look like, and we've decided to start with the, with mo- with designing mobile products and using the mobile phone, um, which is the medium you're designing for, as an input device in that 
design process. Uh, and I can talk a little bit about the product later on. We're building out our desktop product right now. And I think uh, we are at a... Especially, certainly with AI now, right? we're at a shift for all software. Um, and we'll continue to see that evolution over the course of the next you know, 5 to 10 years. And it's probably going to happen pretty quickly. Um, it's going to be exciting and scary and challenging and all those good things. But I think the, the impetus for me was wanting to do something really challenging again with people that... I love to work with that also challenge me. Um, and so Firstborn was an incredible journey. You know, I was there for 15 years and I was there from a, that was like my career. I was there basically two years after I graduated college. Uh, I started working at Firstborn and it was just, it was such an incredible journey. Um, being able to build something with people that were, you know, super talented, very hardworking. We were all at like similar life stages and we were just figuring it out together. And so being able to start over and do that again, it was either that or like career corporate executive. You know, that was, I mean, to boil it all down, that was the choice. And I think, and that's, a, that's not an easy choice, you know, when you're married and you have kids and mortgage and all that stuff. But um, I was like, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So like, let's do it. And I think, you know, June had this idea. And so it was just, you know, we went out to dinner one night. He's like, so I'm doing this. Like, whether you do this or not, I'm doing this. <laughs> and I'd love to have you join and we do it together. And I was like, all right, let's go. So that's kind of the, that's, that's the story. That's awesome. So diving into that a little bit more, tell us more about, you know, maybe the problem that you were seeing and that, uh, you know, June was seeing as far as, uh, mobile design software and you know what play originally was uh, and you know how you went about identifying that problem uh you know understanding it and then you know really starting to build play and and you know what that has eventually become you you kind of touched on it a little bit but you know what what was that process like and 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 where are you now so we were using sketch this is like pre figma uh pre figma days or, or very early figma days we're using Sketch uh, and then using Figma, of course, uh, in their early days before kind of their their meteoric rise, which is an incredible. We still use Figma, uh, you know, today. Although we're using Play more to design Play, which is kind of fun. And so I think it was interesting because, like, I had a perspective after June, kind of came up with this initial vision, which was basically when we're designing for the phone. We rarely interact with the phone. Like, we rarely interact with the actual medium that we're designing for. Like, we're designing on our desktops and we're designing with materials that aren't actually the materials of the medium that we're designing for. Again, and not to take away anything from what we call sort of traditional or general purpose design tools, because there's absolutely a need to just put pixels on a screen, right? But they're vector, they're, they're rectangles on the screen. And so, they are pictures of the thing. They aren't the thing. And so they're representations of the thing. They're not the real thing. They're blueprints, right? A lot of different metaphors that we can use for that. And so I think for June, it started as he's like, you know, when I'm designing for mobile, I have to, you know, I design in this little cutout frame, you know, in my desktop tool. And then I have to use a pretty crappy mirror app. And, and honestly, mirror apps still today are, are generally not great. Um, you know, with all this time that we've had to make them great, uh, still not great. And so I'm looking at my mirror app. And then when I want to change something, I can't. 
like I, 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 you know, cause like in that moment when I see it on my phone, that's when I either experience an interaction or I want to make a design change. And he was like, it would be awesome if I could just do it directly on the device. And it was, a, so when he, he started to prototype these things, originally I thought it was crazy. I was like, we're not going to be able to build a tool on the phone. I was like, you're nuts. You know, and he started to do, you know, prototyping in the early days. And um, we always knew that desktop would play a role. And I could come back to that because that's what we're building now. But there's by starting with the phone, it forced us to fundamentally think different about the tool that we were building as opposed to starting with the desktop from both a technical perspective as well as from a workflow perspective. And we learned a lot by starting with the phone. and I think at the same time, looking at the market of of design software, if I could sort of put it in a nutshell, I think traditional design tools or what Figma really solved for and did so brilliantly was how designers work. Because if you think about before Figma, we're using abstract to, or other version control things for sketch files, Dropbox, underscore, final, final, final. Right? We're sending these files. Figma comes along and it's like, well, there's no more files. And so they fundamentally changed and solved for the problem of how designers work. Right, Real-time collaboration, transparency throughout the, the rest of the product team and organization. And I think... But that's table stakes now. Right, you're not going to go back to using a tool where you're sending design files over Dropbox. I don't think. Right, so that's table stakes. So the question is, well, what's next? And the next frontier we believe is going to be solving for what designers make, because if you think about it, up to this point, design software that we've all used hasn't really considered the medium we're designing for or the materials of that medium in a way that other software, I think considers their medium, right? If you look at video editing software, other things like this. So with Play, that's a fundamental cornerstone, right? We're not trying to build a new general purpose design tool. The cornerstone of what we're building is to give product designers access to that native environment, native iOS elements, real gestures for interactions. So you're not trying to use web technologies to simulate what a pan gesture feels like because it's never going to feel the same. It just, it just isn't. Right. And so when you're designing in play, you're designing inside of the native environment with those real materials. And so that lets a designer build with the same things that an engineer is going to use to ultimately build that product. So there's now a common language that's spoken there. And it opens up many other doors that we're, that we're sort of discovering as we're building our Mac OS desktop product, like being able to generate Swift UI code uh, in real time based on what you're designing and having that change based on what you're designing. So I think the if I were to sum up play, it's almost like you took Figma and a really high fidelity prototyping tool like a protopie or origami and Swift UI. And they kind of came together to create a new sort of evolution of what a design tool, what design software could be like focusing uh, on the mobile product first. We're not going to stop there, but that's where we're starting. I think it's incredibly exciting because you've touched on a couple of pain points that I know I have felt uh, many, many times, not even as a designer, um, you know, being on the product management side and working closely with design, you know, whether it's doing, you know, the rough prototypes or, you know, trying to demo some things that the mobile experience, even though we always are trying to prioritize it, and that's even more important now, has always been one of the things that is uh, secondary 
and you know being able to demo uh, mobile prototypes, being able to actually see those types of things, being able to just get on a meeting and show what it looks like has it's incredibly difficult. And so the idea of shifting that to we're building in a lot of times mobile first. And now this is with play, you know, you've taken that to we're designing, we're, we're not just designing mobile first, but we're like putting design into a mobile first mentality and, and it, putting the tools there so that that is, is not just the, you know, you're designing mobile first, but it is mobile is the core of it. And I, to me, that's so exciting because that's become such an important part of everything that we're building. If it doesn't work well there, it's where people mostly are. It's just not going to work for many, many users and a growing number of users in a lot of cases. As you've done this and as you've you know started to solve this problem that you were experiencing and, and many others, um, you know, what have you seen uh, with companies or, or users and you know, what has been, I guess, some of the initial things that you've learned as you've started to kind of take this shift with, you know, the way that you're designing and as you've seen other people start to use play and start to really design mobile first, I guess. Yeah. I think a lot of what we saw in the early days were things that we knew or maybe had a uh, hypothesis around, but it accelerated those things. And we learned a lot of new things too. I think when you're when you're building a product, especially a complex one, it's so easy to get hyper-focused to the point where you have tunnel vision. And to a degree, that's necessary, right? For certain members on the team, like for because you have because we're solving such complex things, you have to be focused on what you're solving for. But uh, then especially when you're solving complex problems for users, the solution needs to be as simple as possible for them as well, right? Even when it comes to things like layout, right? Like our layout engine is, you know, if you're a designer that understands Flexbox or CSS, or you use auto layout and Figma, our layout engine is the same. I mean, it's virtually the same. But one of the, like, I was astonished at how many product designers don't use auto layout and Figma or don't even know what it is, you know, like kind of senior product designers, you know, and I get it. Like if you're, you know, and I'm not a designer by trade, but like when I'm building something in Figma or certainly when I'm building something in play, like I'm designing an auto layout, you know, by default because it's faster and it's just better. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to put everything in an absolute position even if I'm just starting to design. I understand people want to do that. We've actually just rolled out sort of like uh, a free form stack uh in in our macOS product this today actually, um which is based on Z stacks and Swift UI. So it's actually kind of cool uh because we're basing it off of Z stacks and Swift UI but it allows you to kind of move things and place them in an absolute position. They're technically on like the Z axis but um that's a that's a bit of a bit of a tangent, but I was I was really surprised at the learning curve of the layout system when we thought that we were basing it off of something that so many people would already know and understand. And I think tools like Figma have done an excellent job in easing that learning curve for the for the community as a whole, and that will be the standard, right? If you're building real products to lay them out in a way that isn't placing everything in an absolute position. But that was a big learning. Meeting designers where they already are 
working within was also a big learning, right? So we knew we accelerated our Figma import feature very early on our roadmap because of user feedback. Um, again, something that we were going to do, but just that early feedback, they were like, listen, I just rebuilt my whole design system in Figma, like from scratch. I'm not doing it again. So like, I got to get this stuff in, inside of your tool. <laughs> so we built a really robust Figma import feature, which is currently available in our iOS and iPad products that are in the App Store. And we're incorporating that into the Mac OS product, but also trying to make it better. Um, it's, it's pretty robust right now. It's something that we're... It's not perfect, but it's something that we're... That we're proud of. Like, if you're designing in auto, if you're designing in Figma and you're using auto layout, when you import those component, let's say if you import your component library into Play, we'll respect all of those auto layout constraints. We'll convert it to stacks inside of Play, which then gives us the ability to generate that Swift UI code as well. So you can take that code, paste it in Xcode, and it's going to render those same views with all those 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 same properties and those same constraints, which is which is kind of cool. But there's been a lot of changes that Figma has done, uh, which are great, like variants. So it's like, okay, well, how do we, how do we think about variants when we're importing? Those are similar to states in play, but they're not really states. So there's there's a lot of complexity. Um, and then I think the last thing I would say is just like it, it feedback led us to accelerating our desktop product. We always knew we'd build a desktop product, but I think when we launch our desktop product, just being able to, and so you're going to be able to design across Mac OS and iOS in real time. And so anything that you're designing in Mac OS, and if you click on it and select it, it appears on your iOS device. It's not a mirror app. We are redrawing and re-rendering everything on the device and everything is interactive. And you could just take your device and then go and tweak stuff on your phone, or you can design in Mac OS. So it's really, it's quite a magical experience. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, get, get more people onboarded uh, in the coming months. That sounds, that sounds really, really exciting. Uh, what do you see, I guess, as the, where does this go next for you? You know, obviously, you know, being able to design on, on desktop was uh, a big part of that. You know, what are, are some of the next things that, Either you're seeing uh, users or designers do, or even like industry changes or, or or movements that are happening that you kind of see upcoming. Yeah, I think we're so near term focus is um, getting our macOS product uh, really performant, um, really stable. It's already performant. It's already stable, but really getting this to be a product that people would use in their day to day workflow, right? Um, where it would be a trusted tool, and where it will have enough feature parity with a design tool that they're familiar with, like Figma, where they feel like they can design anything that they want. But we bring in the prototyping and interactive capabilities um, that are far superior to other design tools out there. And the native sort of library, if you will, of iOS. That's the, that, and that becomes... Again, if you're, if you're designing a website... Play is not really all that relevant to you today, right? You can design it in Figma, but you, maybe you want to build it in Webflow or maybe you want to build it in Framer, right? Um, so you actually get a website at the end of it. But um, if you're building a mobile product, we're building Play to be the best tool for that job. And so that's the... It's like if you're designing a, a new mobile app or if you're iterating on an existing mobile app, uh, we are building Play for you. And we want you to give us feedback in terms of what it is that you want, right? So we've got, you know, senior designers at Airbnb, it's like they're it's like they want conditional logic. 
and variables and more complexity, more sophistication, right? So it's balancing things like that with, okay, how do we make the layout system as easy as possible for like newer users? Those are kind of like two opposing forces in some ways. And it's our job to reconcile them. And we have a limited, you know, we're a pretty small team. Uh, we have only, there's only so many hours in the day and so many people. And so that's the, that's the balance. But I think the, the short answer to your question is leaving enough room in the roadmap that is quite honestly undefined. We have so many things we want to build, but we need to listen to our users and figure out what their priorities are and how do we deliver on their needs in the near term. And then obviously the, you know, the big question mark is, you know, what role does AI play in all of the software that we're all building? We certainly are thinking about it here. Um, I don't think we want to rush anything to deliver something that's like flash in the pan. It's got to be utilitarian. I think it's got to have this moment of like utility and magic. And when those two things come together, it's like, wow, that made this awesome. My partner June the other day was talking about video editing software. And he was like, you know, and I forget the name of the software, but like, so like, let's say if you're doing, let's say you're doing a podcast or you're doing an interview and you've got three cameras, right? And so like now you've got to sit there and edit that whole thing with those three cameras. Like there's tools now you just like put in those video streams. It's just going to edit it all for you. And it's probably going to be better than what an editor can do. That's utilitarian and it's magic. It's like, wow, that's amazing. That literally just cut eight hours of my of my time. So I think we need to have that mentality. We're gonna see a lot of AI stuff that's just, you know, I don't know, glorified search, you know, kind of like queries and 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 stuff like that. But there are gonna be really disruptive and really useful um applications of it. And I think that's what we're thinking about for for our product in the long term. It's been incredible to see kind of like you mentioned some of the the things that are starting to happen on that front and where it will go. Uh, kind of like you said, not necessarily uh, everything is going to be valuable, but the places where it is incredibly valuable, um, you know, where it's taking, I know for a lot of the things that I'm doing, like uh, where AI is taking a lot of the the tasks that we're taking a long time and we're not maybe incredibly value add and are making them much shorter and oftentimes doing them just as well or better than, you know, I could do like that to me, kind of like you said, is that magical thing of like, yes, this is what I needed to do and is, is helping in, in an incredible way. It's not, you know, uh, the, a flashy thing that not always a flashy thing that, you know, it's just, Hey, you know, this is cool, but there's not a ton of value, but like, where is that valuable thing that is going to make my job easier and, and ultimately allow me to focus on the things that are the most valuable for me to be focusing on. And that's, like you said, that's an exciting space to, to really be thinking about and to be developing in. I, I wanted to kind of dive into, you know, something else you touched on the idea of kind of balancing the simplicity and complexity, um, you know, cause I feel like this is an ongoing challenge in, in most apps and in most things that, that we develop and, Something that I feel like I'm constantly looking at, you know, as, especially as you get power users coming in who really understand a product, understand how to do things really well, balancing, you know, the, the tools that they need with, you know, really the simplicity of what, you know, makes a product really easy to use and really easy to start. You know, how, how have you been approaching that? Obviously, you know, you, there are trade-offs and all of that, but 
you know, what do you think about that? How have you been you know, working with users and customers to approach some of that and, uh, and finding the right balance of that powerful complexity, but also the, the ease of use simplicity? Yeah, it's, it's super challenging, man. In a good way. Um, I think so when talking with our users, first of all, any, any feedback from any user is obviously important to listen to. How you use that feedback to influence the changes you make in your product is something that needs to be thought carefully about, right? So, you know, I think when we, you know, there are certain things where it's like, I, if you ask five people who you believe, five users who you believe to be your ICP, and like they're all confused about X, then X is confusing, right? You don't need to ask five more. I mean, you could, but you're probably going to get the same, the same answers. So I think like for us is like where lots of different types of people are using play, right? Some people are using play inside of larger organizations that have an existing app. They're using it maybe for more advanced prototyping and things like that. Other teams are maybe designing and building their first app. So we want both of them as a, as a customer and as a user, but the use case is slightly different. Therefore, the, the features that, that they may prioritize or what's most important to them may be slightly different. Um, so there's that kind of differential. And then there's also the, the where is that person in their career? Like how, how technical a user are they? Are they a designer that's more of a visual designer or are they a designer that dabbles in Swift UI or in some coding right on the side? Um, a tool like Play probably feels more at home for the latter of those two users. So anytime we get feedback from users, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to do is like, okay, this is all valuable, but is the person or is the people where this feedback is coming from, do they fit within who we believe our ICP to be, right? Our core like customer. And if the answer is yes, well, that's good. Because then that is directional feedback that we'll dig deeper in. And then that will usually influence the changes that we make in the product pretty significantly. But what's more interesting is like there's maybe a group of people that aren't that are a slight tangent of our ICP. Then the question is like, okay, well, do we have the right ICP? Like, or is like, or is there another market here that maybe we should be thinking about? And if we build for that market, does it take away from so those are the those are the fun, you know, kind of um, spirited debates and conversations that you have, you know, as a product team. It's all part of the, all part of the journey. I think the other thing too is like balancing wanting to stick to some best practices around like the interface. What what should the interface of a design tool look like? With also trying to make things better, and like when you when you try to make something better, it's also different and sometimes different equals I don't like it at first, right? And so it's trying to figure out, well, okay, well, do you not like this because it's just not in the same place as you're used to? But does it give you more value? Uh, you know, so trying to decipher that that kind of feedback as well. So that's all that's that's kind of where we're at in in the in the Mac OS journey too, because we're trying a lot of new new things uh that we think could be useful or interesting or have a magical kind of moment. And sometimes people are like, Oh, this is awesome. And other times they're like, eh, I kind of just like the old way, like the trick, just do it how, just do it how I'm used to, (laughs) you know? And so, you know, try to try to balance those things out. I totally agree with that. I I think that it is, um, you know, obviously getting all of those data points is incredibly important, you know, wherever it comes from and then finding where it fits within your overall strategy and where you are now and where you want to go. So 
know, does it align with the, you know, the, the segments and the customers you're serving and the ones that you potentially want to be serving at some point, uh, which is like you said, an exciting thing to constantly be debating and thinking about like directionally where you go. Um, I think that's great. I, I want to kind of zoom out just a little bit too, and, you know, talk about uh, design more broadly and, you know, some of the things that uh, you've seen and you're seeing. Um, I'd be interested, you know, how you have seen design generally change over your career. You know, you mentioned the agency work that you, that you did for, you know, 15 years, uh, you know, the, the work that you're doing now with a design tool at, at play, you know, what have you seen change in the industry over your career? Uh, and then where do you see things going into the future? I think one of the things, uh, you know, we saw over the past decade, plus, well, more, more, uh, maybe 15 years, certainly, is the the role of design like what we'd say you know I'll use some like jargon now but like you know capital D design you know if you will being valued at the C suite level right it's not just pretty pictures like design like good design is good business uh, and without it you are you will be left behind by your competition right and so I think the overall value of design inside of organizations, especially as it relates to the the digital space, which is obviously everything now, um, has has changed uh, in, in a good way. You know, whereas like early early on, like in in my career, sometimes you'd need to sell in the value of the thing that you were creating. Whereas I think then we went through you know kind of a probably a bit of a bubble where it's just like, oh, wow, yeah, let's go and spend X amount of dollars on like a flash microsite and spend a bunch of money on banner ads. And maybe that worked for a specific campaign, right? But sort of the advent of like, oh, maybe less TV spots and more digital stuff, right? So I think just the overall appreciation of of design and how it relates to business fundamentals um, has has changed over the last couple of decades for 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 the better. I then think because of that, we probably have a lot of roles in the design space that get created that are almost like micro disciplines unto themselves. And so it just begs the question of like, well, what is a, what is a product designer? You know, um, what does, what does a person who has that role do? And the answer is right now, it's probably different based on the type of organization that they're working for, which I think is okay. Um, but we certainly need to re-examine all of this with the advent of you know things like AI, things like you know the current you know economy and market that we're living in. Like we don't, I, I don't know how long, I don't know how many organizations will have the luxury of paying a you know an entire design systems team to to like check the padding on on buttons and cards. You know, I, by the way, I'm not playing down that role or those designers, but I think we all know that as companies get bigger. And when VC money is plenty, there's bloat. It's just the way that things happen, right? Uh, and then roles just get created to do a lot of shuffling of things. <laughs> and and then when things start to constrict as they are now, it's like, oh, yeah, we don't need that person or that person or that group or that team. So it just forces us to, I think, re-examine what is the role of design inside of organizations and how does that remain critical? And then how do people in the design profession maybe 
re-find themselves within a, a pretty, what I think is going to be a pretty rapidly change, changing uh, landscape for everybody. It's definitely rapidly changing, like you said, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, over the next little while with all of the changes happening, you know, obviously we've seen a number of things tighten uh, recently, you know, we've seen the ad really the uh, almost exponential growth of AI and, you know, what the potential for that is um, unknown at this point, but um, how all of this really starts to influence product development, product design, all of these things going forward within companies, outside of companies um, will be be a fascinating thing to see uh, over the next little while. As you've built teams, I'm interested in this because obviously, you know, you you were at um, Firstborn for for a long time and you helped grow that. And then now as you're developing play and kind of building that, building the the team and the group there, um, you know, how, how have you approached uh, creating uh, teams and and organizations now and especially you know as we continue to be you know more and more remote uh, i'm interested in that from both the the business side and the product design side you know what have you seen as far as uh you know building productive teams and you know building productive remote teams yeah the remote team thing is a whole new uh whole new animal you know for everybody certainly for us i think um so when we started play, it was pre-COVID, right? Right pre-COVID, which is sort of a fun time to start. It's like, a, you know, quit your job, <laughs> quit your big job, start a, start a new company, start raising capital, and then like global pandemic, you know, it's like, oh, wow, this, this is going to be interesting. I think so uh, for building a new team, what are the shared... You can call them values, I guess, if you want, but what are the shared values of that team and of that organization? I forget who it was. Somebody said like a culture is defined by like what behavior leadership tolerates. Some version of that. I forget who said it and they said it better. Like we I've made so many mistakes with like building teams and hiring people and all and do so over the years. And I think that that now and maybe it's like my age or just that resonates with me because it's that then sets the standard of what leadership is okay with and so whatever it is i think in the beginning you have the luxury of defining what those things are like hey like if the expectation is everyone works 7 days a week and when you're interviewing people, you're like, hey, we work seven days a week. We don't take any days off, which by, we don't, by the way. And I don't think that's a good idea. Just I'm just using that as an example. Then you know what you're signing up for. I think so. That's the main thing is like everyone in the beginning needs to know what they're signing up for. That means that every organization is not for everyone. And that's okay. It shouldn't be. And so if you, your job as a leader is to kind of like set the tone, but also say, like, hey, this is what we're all about. You know, and so when you come work here, this is what you're signing up for. And if that doesn't work for you, that's okay. But I want to be upfront with you about what we expect. Uh, and so there's no surprises down the road. And I think that's the most important thing because then, like, the weirdest thing is like, because it, it's not good for anyone, right? It's not good for the company, but it's even worse for the individual. You know, um, because they're like, oh my God, like where, ooh, what did I join? The interview process seems so different. And now it's like so different here. 
Like that should never, that's a, that's a, that's a fault of leadership. It's a fault of, of the company, you know? And so I think, um, like one of the questions I'll ask people when we interview them is like, Hey, like they'll talk to a few people, you know, a few rounds and they'll talk to multiple people. But I always ask people is like, you know, is there anyone else, you know, that you'd want to talk with? And depending on how many, how many people they've spoken with and depending on what the role is, if they don't say like, yeah, I want to talk to this person, this person, that's almost like a yellow flag for me, you know? Cause it's like, well, you actually never, you know, you never spoke with someone in this, you know, in this role and you'd actually maybe be working tangentially. So I'd expect you to want to talk to somebody like that. So I guess the headline is on, on, on building teams is like, everyone's going to have their own style, their own leadership style. I think you need some degree of consensus from a leadership team around like what you're all about. And then you just need to be transparent with what those expectations are for other people and set the tone. So they know what they're, they know what they're buying into. The remote piece is a challenge. We, so we started hiring remotely, obviously, you know, during COVID. So we've got about half of our team in New York. We have four people in Brazil. We have one person in Spain. We've got four people or so on the West Coast. So we're kind of all over the place. We're flying every, we fly everyone in once a year, at least, which is awesome. We did that last year. We actually did it the year before. Then we flew everyone in last year from all over the world. Uh, for some people, it was their first time in the United States. Pretty, pretty cool kind of experience, I think, for for them, but also for 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 me and for just kind of like it's just like wow. It's just like it was just a moment where I was like, this is you know, like I was born here, like I was born an hour outside of New York City, and this is just normal life, and just it's just a reminder of like the world is a big place, and people have come from so many different uh, parts of the world and they have so many different things to bring. And you get that when you're working remotely, but man, you get somebody, you get everyone in the same room. It just changes it for the better, you know? And so we try to do that um, at least once a year and, um, you know, bring people that are in the States, you know, they want to fly in whenever they want they come in, you know, we'll fly in and we'll do working sessions and, and, and that kind of thing. So I think mixing that sort of remote work with in-person work is, 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 is going to be important. I think as you scale, it gets way harder. You know, for us, it's manageable right now. You know, like I, I still interview every single, like my family, we all interview every single person we hire as we should, you know? Um, I don't know how you do it when you're a thousand person company, you know, 500 person company, and now you're global. That's got to be harder. You know, and different challenges, uh, but we don't need to think about that yet. So I'm not. <laughs> yeah, one day, right? Yeah, be a, a challenge to to be facing. Um, what advice would you have for somebody looking to get started in a product design career, or you know, even you know, starting their own company uh, like like you're doing now? What have been some of the things that you've learned throughout your career that you either wish you knew or, or would give advice to somebody? Oh man, I don't know. Um, I think so I think more people need to start companies but most people shouldn't start companies that's kind of my you know my advice um just cuz it's really hard and you have to be a little crazy like you have to be a little crazy to just start something on your own especially when it's really ambitious um but when you have a great team the only reason I did I I I I decided to do play was it's just all about my co-founders and the team you know if it wasn't for them, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. There's no way I would be doing this. There's not. There's no question in my mind. 
So for me, it's always about the team and like working with people that are better than you. That you know, I have my skill sets, but they're, they're brilliant in their own ways, and we kind of all are able to bring our talents to the table. And we know one another now, or we know what we suck at, and we know what we're good at, and we don't try to like, you know, pretend <laughs> what we're good. It's just like, yeah, I'm terrible at that. You go and do that thing, and you know. Um, but I, more people need to start companies because there are so many problems that we have and so much brain power but it's also really hard you know so a lot of most people shouldn't because it's the they they will probably quit before they get to that that moment you know um and sometimes you have to quit you know quit because like when you quit something you can start something else right but you should never quit just because something's hard you know that would be my advice is like quit things because they aren't working but you really validate that they're not working. Don't ever quit something just because it's hard. You know, you ha- like those are the moments where you need to push through. Quit when you're just—it's a bad idea, <laughs> or it's not working, and you've really validated that. But don't ever quit because it's hard. Um, and then for designers or anything, I just—I think we've like—and this is, the, I think, one of the risks of remote work. We've lost, I think, to a degree, the importance of like learning. Like the idea of learning, like we go to school and we're learning. I don't know. Like, I I don't know what I learned. I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, all of my learning was like post universe, post college, you know, if I'm being honest with myself. And I sometimes feel like maybe younger people, I'm going to sound like the old guy now, but like maybe younger people, like, especially people that have been told that are really smart and that have been told for most of their young career in school how like amazing they are. And then they get out of school and they get in their first design crit. And maybe like the creative director, the design director is really a really nice guy or really nice gal, but they're just being really direct. And like that person's like, they're, oh my God, like they're just, you know, their world shatters because someone told them that their design wasn't amazing. Well, it's like, hey, yeah, you're 20. And so it probably isn't going to be amazing because you still have a lot to learn. So, like, my advice is like, you got a lot to learn. You know, and like go in, the best thing you can do is like feel like you're getting paid to get an education. And so if you're not, if you're like you're if you're in your first or second job and you feel like you're not learning, you need to leave immediately. Like with I don't care how much money you're making. I mean, unless you unless you have different life circumstances, I'm saying like if you have the luxury to choose a job and you're not learning and you don't have somebody there that you're like, oh my God, I really want to learn from that person. Um, you need to go and find that opportunity because that's where that that's where and try different things. You know, it's really hard to make terrible decisions in your twenties as it relates to your job. I mean, it's really easy to make terrible decisions in your twenties, but as it, oh, I'm going to leave this job, I'm going to go to this job. I don't know. You know, like you should feel like you're learning and be around people that are really smart. Like if you look around, you're 22, 23, and you're like, I think I'm kind of one of the more talented people in this room. You need to get the hell out of there <laughs> like fast. That is uh, one of, I think one of my favorite things and, and agree 100% that uh, especially early in your career as a designer or really as anyone like treat it as a continuation of your education because your first few jobs should be just that like you are there to produce but you're also there to just really learn and that is probably one of the most important things you're doing like take the role take the roles that you're going to learn the most in and grow the most in because they will 
be the most valuable going forward. And you don't need to find that last, you know, the, the place that you're going to be forever or, you know, the most prestigious or anything like that. Like find the places that you can learn the most, grow the most, get the most feedback, the most education that you can and treat it like that. Treat it like you were there to learn and, you know, do as much as you can, but learn as much as you can because you're not going to be there forever, most likely. And you will learn an incredible amount as you start in your career. And nobody's going to hold that against you early in your career. We all feel like they will or feel like you have to come out of college knowing everything. I know I did like looking back, nobody expects that. Like you're a new college grad, like you were literally the most junior person there, most likely just own that and learn as much as you can. So I, I love that advice. Well, this is Dan, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I know you were, we're kind of getting towards the end and I usually have a couple of wrap up questions, uh, for, for everybody. Um, but before we do that, is there anything that, that you would like to add to anything that we talked about or didn't get a chance to talk about? No, I think we covered a lot. You know, I think anyone thinking about anyone, especially that's young and that has an idea and, uh, you have great teammates and you have an idea to build something, you should go and try and build it. You know, um, we need more people building companies, solving important problems. So, uh, try it and, 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 and you, it will lead you on a path where you can always go and get a job. You know, you can always go and get a job. It's hard, you know, uh, maybe that's not true, but that's what I tell myself. So, you know, uh, I would encourage people to, uh, to start something and solve, pick a problem. There's a lot of them <laughs> and a lot of important ones. And, uh, you know, spend less time scrolling through TikTok and all that shit and just like find people that are really talented that balance you and build something great, you know? And I think, um, I think we need more people doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I have kind of two wrap up questions, uh, that we like to ask everyone. Um, and this is, this can be about, anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be business or or design or product related, but have you read or watched anything interesting uh, that you'd like to share? I am reading. um, So there's a, there's a doctor that I've been following for a few years. um, Dr. Peter, Peter Atia, and he just uh, came out with his first book um, and is probably his last book as he, as he would say, it's called outlive. Um, He's his, his whole focus is like health, but like with a bend towards longevity. Uh, and so the it, it's I, I love his material. His podcast is great. He has really interesting people uh, on his podcast. Anyone in, interested in either you know health or fitness, um, or even people not interested in health and fitness, but maybe should be interested in health and fitness. Um, more so, health uh, fitness is a component. But his book is it's called Outlive. I'm reading it now. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, I, I, I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, that's kind of my, on my current, uh, I try to read stuff that are, that's not directly applicable to like what I'm doing in the day to day. Cause it helps, I think for my brain anyway, it just helps like expand my, my thinking and problem solving and stuff like that. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And then are there any products that you are enjoying right now uh, or or not enjoying? You can call those out too. Uh, and that could be digital products or physical products, anything that you've been using uh, that has been particularly good or bad. Mm. I mean, I love the huddle feature on Slack, but I hate the new like ringtone that they just added. Like that I like it, but I want it to stop. So if so 
I like it because I want to know when somebody is calling me to a huddle, but I don't need to hear that damn ringing like nonstop. Just like ring it for, you know, I don't know, eight seconds and then stop it. <laughs> so that's, I love the huddle feature though, man. It's crazy. Like the huddle feature is like one of the best little software features of any product, I think, in the last like, I don't know, many, many years. We use it like every day, five million times. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely the huddle feature is is great. I have had that where it's it's uh it's sounding and I don't know what it is. Like this was probably when we weren't using it as much. I'm like what what keeps sounding and uh and it's that huddle, it's the the call to the huddle that's just like going on and on and on. Um anyway, well, Dan, this has been a great conversation. Um I really really enjoyed all of your insight. Where can people find out more about you, about play, about the things that you're working on? Yeah. So uh, go to createwithplay.com, our website. You can download the Play app for iOS and iPad in the App Store. Links are on our website, or you can just go to the App Store and search for Create With Play. And you can also... uh, We're going to be updating our website. You'll find information on how you can join the beta for our macOS product. And you can also... uh, uh, look for us on Twitter. Uh, again, our handles uh, create with play. Uh, I am not on any social media other than LinkedIn, um, which helps keep keep my sanity. But you, you can you can probably dig up and find me somewhere on LinkedIn. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes uh, so you can check out uh, create with play at the various places and, and try that out. Well, Dan, again, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much uh, for all of your insight. I really, really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, man. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. All right. And thank you everyone for listening. We will talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on TikTok at prodigy.co and on Twitter at prodigy.co. You can also follow me on both of those platforms at Kyle Larry Evans. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter Prodigy at Prodigy.co. You can also follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans or check out my Medium publication Prodigy. Of course, you can check out all these links in the show notes.